guys and welcome to another episode of the Hashtag No Judgment Podcast. Really exciting today. We have a, another interview from another favorite of mine, Aliza Rosen. She is the host of the Reality of Reality Podcast. If you listen to any reality show podcast, you've probably heard her before. She has um, an amazing history as a television producer, mostly in the unscripted world. And she has um, some really fascinating insights on parenting children. Um, She is the mother of an eight-year-old and also the stepmother of two adult children. And we go into the life of working mothers, how it is for her being a working mother in Hollywood. And the other thing that we talk about that was really interesting is that Elisa actually produced one of my favorite documentaries called The Case of JonBenet Ramsey. It was on CBS about two years ago. You can still find it streaming. It was a really amazing documentary in that the team of experts that they gathered not only went over the case over again but they actually rebuilt the Ramsey's actual home so down to like the wallpaper little tchotchkes everything it was really really fascinating and Elisa was one of the producers on that so I was curious to get her view kind of you know watching the case 20 years ago prior to having children and kind of how she viewed it now as she was doing this documentary as a mother. And incidentally, she told me that the age that JonBenet was when she was killed, it's actually the same age that her daughter was when she was working on the project. So I mean, mind boggling. It was, it was really, really interesting. So I hope you guys enjoy. It is a little bit of a quicker interview, um, but sit back and relax. Well, thank you, Aliza, so much for taking the time to come on today. I really appreciate it. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. I was interested in talking to you, one, because you are a working mom in the entertainment industry. So that's always an interesting perspective. And then also your background, um, besides your podcast, Reality of Reality, you have a background in unscripted television and one of the uh, projects of yours that I was very interested in was the JonBenet Ramsey documentary. And I was also interested in hearing your kind of your perspective like bef- on that before and after becoming a mom. Interesting. So, yes. Yeah, so um, I, I am a TV producer. I do uh, produce mostly unscripted content. And a couple of years ago, I co-created a show called The Case of John Benet Ramsey for CBS, um, where we took the team of a lot of the original investigators in the case 20 years later to try and solve the case. And so we sort of reopened everything and went to Colorado and interviewed, um, you know, people who had known the Ramseys and law enforcement and kind of all of the players. Um, we also reconstructed the house to scale so that we could sort of do reenactments that would in real, you know, in, in sort of the real space where it happened. Um, and, and was able to disprove a lot of the theories. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was a lot. It was, you know, for those people who don't know, it was, um, a six year old girl who was killed. And at the time my daughter was seven. Um, we just moved to Los Angeles. So she was, you know, in a new place in a new room and, 
um, definitely a little bit fearful anyway. And I think the fact that I was sort of like deeply immersed in this case and was constantly on phone calls and watching cuts and, you know, she's very curious kids. So right. she wanted to know everything. And I stupidly told her kind of about the case. I mean, obviously not the gory details, yeah. but she knew enough to be scared as hell. Yeah. <laughs> and, sure. um, I kind of probably regret trying, you know, I should have shielded her more in retrospect, but um, it definitely affected me in a different way to your point before and after, like when it happened 20 years ago, I was working in news. I was in my twenties and, um, it was a huge case. I mean, it was massive and everybody was talking about it and I was fascinated by it as everybody else was. Um, however, I, it didn't, you know, because it was sort of such pageantry pun intended, you know, right. it didn't really affect me emotionally. Other, you know, of course it's always sad when a child dies, my God, yeah, but but I think, yeah, once I have my daughter, and again, thinking of her so close in age to John Binet, and um, and also I have sons, I have stepsons, and and you know our conclusion was that Burke, her brother, unintentionally killed her, and so mm-hmm. you know, and here her brother was like in the room next door to her, you know, it was it was creepy and it was yeah. scary and it was really sad, and we were, I will say overall, I was really grateful to be a part of that project because we never felt like justice was done and it felt like a little girl had died and it had become the circus basically, but real really never solved. And right. so the fact that we were able to solve the case, um, to the best of our conclusions, which I stand by a hundred percent felt vindicating in a way for, for her because, um, you know, the public deserved to know what happened to her. She was, an innocent little girl. So yeah, it did affect me, affected me a lot. And we always had her picture, you know, on the front of all of our binders and, and it was called the case of JonBenet because she was front and center. And a lot of times in murders in general, whether it's a kid or an adult, the victim's voice is lost and they're sort of wiped out of the narrative. And that happened, you know, the Amanda Knox case, nobody remembers that Amanda Knox was not the one who got murdered. Meredith Kircher was. So I think that the fact that we were able to give her back a voice in a sense and sort of, you know, piece together what had actually happened, that felt validating, um, at least a sense of closure for, for people that really wanted that. I don't think for the family, cause I think that they know and they've always known, but they just, have, you know, put out a different narrative. So that's, that's always, that was what we were up against as well. Right. Yeah. I felt like a lot of the the stuff with Patsy, like her issues. And then of course she was diagnosed with cancer, like that kind of became the central story and then the the dad always he's still alive isn't he the father oh yeah alive and well okay so yeah he and and didn't something happen with burke after he did that like dr phil interview or something or am i making well i what what do you mean what happened to him didn't he come out and say like no this isn't true at all like i yeah i mean he it's i you know look we could totally go down the rabbit hole for hours yeah I, and i and i still do love talking about it because i find it to be a fascinating case but but burke went on dr phil and actually gave us some missing pieces to the puzzle um so you know sometimes perpetrators uncon- especially when they're you know children at the time they right. later will leak things called like leakage where they unconsciously say things that implicate them and he actually sort of provided us with one of the missing pieces to the puzzle in that interview. Um, oh, that's it, what it was. Yeah, because I yeah. remember watching that and I remember listening to him speaking and thinking like, um, you're kind of like – Yeah, help. <laughs> not not <laughs> helping yourself Yeah, you're here. kind of solidifying everything that they're <laughs> yeah. saying here. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I believe, I mean, I really believe that he isn't sure what happened because first of all, it's been a long time. And I think that his parents kind of wiped his brain clean because they didn't want him to think that he killed his sister. So they, they, they covered it up for him and basically, you know, just never spoke to, I believe they never spoke to him about it ever. Yeah, I'm sure. And probably he blocked part of it out. Being yeah. So and he had a lot of issues. I mean, he was definitely on the spectrum. And I mean, from, uh, I shouldn't say definitely. He was, from what everything that we gather from talking to therapists and knowing his sort of health records and everything up until that time, he, he definitely was a kid who had issues and had issues right. specifically with his sister. So it's just sad. It's really the whole thing is honestly just sad. There's no other way to say it. You know, it's like tragic. Did you know, like, did you have a lot of background or intel about child psychology before you went into that? Or is that kind of your first foray? Into- yeah, no, I, I, I did not. And that was um, really interesting, too, because we did talk to a lot of child therapists. And we talked to juvenile lawyers, too, to help us understand other aspects of the case in terms of, like, why a grand jury charged, made their charges the way they did and had to do with him being an, a minor. Like, there were so many intricacies um, that had to do with the fact that he was just under 10 at the time of the murder that were really eye-opening and that made us, again, more sure of our theory by the end of it all. Yeah. I mean, do you think you, like, with issues, you know, like, with whether it be, like, your daughter with her friends at school or your stepsons, do you think you look at that with, like, through a different lens after going through all that? I mean, honestly, I, I hate to say it, but my takeaway really as a mother is that like parents will do anything to protect their children. And ultimately that's what they were doing. They didn't do it. They shouldn't have done it. You know, they ended up, you know, spending, you know, millions of dollars of taxpayer money and, you know, pointing the finger at close friends of theirs who were totally innocent. I mean, they really made a shit shit show of the whole things. Um, And so I have really no sympathy for them in that respect. Obviously I have sympathy for them that they, you know, lost their child and right. they didn't have anything to do with that in particular. Um, and actually John had lost another child and uh, from his first marriage in a car accident years before. Oh, right. So there was a lot of trauma and tragedy around him. And so I understand that feeling of wanting to, you know, your one child's dead. You want to protect your other child who you think is going to go to jail. He wouldn't have, but they didn't know that in the moment. Right. So they made a series of horrible decisions. Um, and you know, so I don't, I don't judge them for wanting to protect their children and to, you know, at any cost. Cause I, I can relate to that as a parent, but I sort of judge them for their, the way that they did it, because I think that that ultimately was, you know, illegal and a lot of just, a, you know, led to a lot of really horrible things after that. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, to pivot a little bit, uh, yeah, on a I much, know. It's so, on a much it's lighter so sad. note. I know, I know. Like, <laughs> way to start uh, off the day. Um, really? Anyway, but being, um, I know you have how, how many like actual jobs do you have besides? That? I have many jobs. <laughs> so I have sort of like a full time job as running development for a production company here in Los Angeles. I am producing and directing a documentary that is down the home stretch called Latter-day Jew about a, a gay comedian who grew up Mormon, got cancer, converted to Judaism, and we follow him on his journey to become a man at age 35 as he becomes a bar mitzvah. 
So that's sort of like a comedic, poignant film that a feature that I'm getting ready to submit to film festivals. We're we're, we're finishing editing. Oh, that's um, fascinating. It's really fun. Yeah, if anyone wants to check it out, you can go to Latter Day Jew. Um, the website and has the trailer and ways that you can help if you're interested. And, um, and I also have the podcast. Um, and then I have projects that, um, I was doing before I took this full-time job that are in the mix. I have an amazing, um, project, uh, based for lifetime based in Chicago with this incredible group of nurses and doctors at this hospital. That's really like in this horrible neighborhood where it's like the worst violent neighborhood in Chicago, but they're sort of like the heroes that are, saving the community. That's amazing. I have another show that I can't really talk about too much. It's more of a sitcom show um, that we're in development with Bravo on with another company. I'm really excited about, I think it's going to be amazing. Um, We're, we're just sort of like, you know, knee deep in that right now. So I have sort of other stuff that proceeds, um, that precedes this. I, you know, I just, I love what I do and I love being creative and I love sort of just creating things and characters and telling stories. So, um, it's hard for me if I find something that I love, that I want to be involved in. It's hard for me to say no or not want to develop it or not want to bring it to the world because I just think there's so many great stories to tell. So it right. sounds a little cheesy, but, no, um, all. that is part of the reason why I don't sleep as well as I'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know what you're talking about with that. Uh, have yeah. Fair share of sleeping pills. Um, yes. <laughs> tell me about it. So do you – how old is your daughter now? She turned 11 today. Today's oh, her birthday. Yeah, birthday. literally. Thank Aww. you. Very exciting day. It's very cute to see somebody who's still excited about her birthday because I just don't I care know. about my birthday anymore. I tur- Actually, my birthday's tomorrow. And, uh, oh my gosh, it's, that's so cute. You guys are, yeah, together. she was my gift. Exactly. Aww. So the fact that she's still young and not jaded and adorable, just like it gives me hope for the world. Cause I'm so old and jaded and cynical. <laughs> no, I know what you mean when it's like, when it's like a couple days before my birthday, I'm like, Oh my God. Like, yeah. You dread it. And we used yeah. to remember, you used to look forward to it. The good old days. Totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I just say after 30, I just kind of stopped. I'm just same. Like, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's after 30. It's like, what are you really so excited about? I, I mean, for me, look, uh, the truth is I am, I do love life as kind of hard as these last few years have been for, you know, our national uh, interest. Um, I do am somebody who's an optimist and I'm always grateful for another year to be alive. Yes. On the other hand, like aging really sucks. It, yeah, it does. That's for (laughs) sure. Yeah. From a health wise, but yes, I, um, but I'm interested as far so do you have do you have a nanny? Do you have help or do you I mean I guess it's easier since she's in school now. It is a lot easier now. So when we were younger we always, you know, had help and I'm a big believer in, you know, aftercare and all of that stuff because I think that kids get to be around other kids and For you know, sure. as opposed to just one person. So I'm I'm a big proponent of that and we've done sort of a combination of both over the years. Now we have a babysitter, a fantastic girl, um, who I'm so grateful for because she is just so reliable and she's a great role model for my daughter. Um, you know, and I mean, the cliche of it takes a village is true. And when we moved mm-hmm. to LA, we didn't have any family here. Uh, my mother-in-law lives here, but she's not really in a position to be able to help anymore. She used to be. Um, so, we, you know, you rely on people that you hire. And, and my husband works from home. And that's really helpful as well because he's able to step in a lot um, when needed. And, you know, look, I'm a grown up and I've always had jobs where like 
you know, I'm not punching a clock and I can be there for her for, you know, performances. And, right. uh, you know, like today we have a meeting at school at three o'clock, which is a, not an opportune time for someone who works, but it's like, of course I want to be there, yeah. you know? So it's, it's always a juggle. Look, and I only have one kid, which is why I always joke when like, you know, I have a friend who has five kids. She's a single mom. I'm like, I cannot barely handle one child. And I can't tell you like the amount of things that I screw up on a daily basis. And I always, <laughs> you know, I always say to her, like, if you were my only child, I would be a lot better at my job. But, yeah. you know, it's like I have too many things going on. So something always gets lost in the shuffle. Right, right. But right. it's hard to do it all well. It is. But I wouldn't have it any it other is. way. I would never give up working. You know, I mean, look, I'd love to give it up, give up some parts of it. But, you right. know, like in terms of like if if I had my druthers, it would be great to just do documentaries. But um, but I love what I do and it feeds my soul creatively. So I'm not going to give that up. I'm not going to give up like, you know, being a mom to my kid. Right. So you just you just like do the best you can. And you know that you're going to screw it up a lot which I definitely do. But I think that she knows I love her and I like, you know, I'm there for her. And when she wakes me up at six in the morning, every freaking morning, you know, (laughs) I sit in bed with her and we hang out, we chat. So we have, you know, I do feel really close to her um, in a way that like I'm close with my mom. But when I was eight, my mom went to work um, in New York city. We we grew up in New York and, um, and she worked, you know, she had banker, like real, like she was on the train at six in the morning. She was home at eight o'clock at night. So oh, wow. I didn't really get a lot of that quality time, um, with her. I mean, not like she wasn't around, she was, right. but it was, she was exhausted and she was commuting and she worked like a dog. Yeah. And so we, we just didn't have sort of like that day to day closeness that I have with my daughter. And I'm super grateful for it. Yeah. That's really like, it. and you know, to your point about it, not having everything perfect every day. I think that's a really great example, especially for daughters that, you know, even though you're doing all these things, you have a hand in every pot that, you know, you don't have to be perfect and it's not about that. And setting mm-hmm. that example, I think is really, especially for girls, because I think girls can fall into that, you know, I have to be perfect at everything I do. And, and it's true. Yeah. And also the example you're setting for her that, you know, it's important that you are doing things you're passionate about and, Yes. You know, and I think that's really important for girls too to see that. It is. And I think she's conflicted about it too, to be honest. You know, like I think she's, I think all kids just want you around. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure right, that's right. going to change in a few years when she never wants to see me again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because, She'll be like, go to yeah, work, go to work. <laughs> exactly. Because she's a teenager and blah, blah, blah. But um, at the end of the day, I definitely feel like, um, you know, she knows she respect, you know, I think it'll be, even if it doesn't feel immediately so great, I think it will end up being really good for her to see that. I know it was really good for me with my mom to see that. I, I, you know, I had a strong role model my mom was a feminist and she came up in the seventies in the women's movement. So she was always an activist and I followed in her footsteps. And even though like my daughter is not necessarily built that way right now, I think the fact that she sees me doing it will eventually have a good effect on her, even if right now she finds it annoying or whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> right. She definitely no, I does. Think everything like seeps in, you know, and it's like, exactly. Even if, they don't, even if they don't realize it, it's, yeah. And I know you said you had stepsons. Like, how is that dynamic? Is it, I mean, I can't imagine. Oh, it's, it's like, so easy. It's a walk in the park, right? It's a walk and it's the best job ever. They love you every second of every day, no matter what you do. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, it's, they're 21 and 26 now. So, um, 
we kind of, you know, we've been out of the, out of the weeds for a while in terms of like the heavy lifting of, of their adolescence. And even, right. I mean, when I met them, they were 11 and six. So they were a kid, you know, six year old was a baby. So, yeah. um, so it's, you know, it's, it's been a roller coaster. It's, there's been some, you know, really hard times along the way. Um, more probably with my older one because he was, you know, older when his parents split up and, and right. I think harder for him. He's more emotional too. So, um, you know, and there were a lot of things I wish I had done better looking back. I mean, you just don't know. It's like you're thrown into this thing and nobody writes the book. I mean, I, I think there was one book I read. It didn't help. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you just have to be like, it's like parenting, but it's even harder in a way because with your own kids, you know, that there's an unconditional love there, right? you know, coming from them and, and, when you're the step parent, it's just, you're basically more of a target than anything else. So even yeah. if you, you know, even if they love you one day and hate you the next, they're just going to focus on hating you the next. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm proud of them and I'm proud of my relationship with them because I've worked at it and they have too. Um, but you know, it's not the easiest job. Yeah. It's, I heard someone else say, I don't know if it was you, but maybe like it's literally <laughs> a thankless job. Oh, that was definitely me. Is that you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is because you don't get, I mean, I think again, now that they're adults, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I think that they, they, they see it more and I think they see me more as kind of like what I bring to the table for them in my life and as a person in the world, as opposed to just like, ugh, daddy's girlfriend or daddy's new wife that we yeah. don't want to deal with, you know? <laughs> um, so I think, you know, it ebbs, it ebbs and flows, but it, it has enriched me. It really has. I mean, I, I'm glad. Um, even with all of the headaches that have gone along with it and, you know, they still exist a lot of the time just because you're still financially responsible to an extent for them. And, you know, they're still dependent on us and all of that. So it's not like they're fully like, you know, out in the world being adults. Right. Um, so they're, it's still there, but the thing that I'm most grateful for, especially with my oldest is he has an incredible relationship with my daughter and I'm going to cry just thinking about it. Like I can't imagine her not having them in her life. Like, it's just like, thank God that she's not really an only child. You know, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. So did they, had they always lived in LA or you guys all moved together? We all moved together. I wanted to move here and, um, convinced my husband, obviously our daughter was coming with us. And then they're like, Oh wait, you guys are moving to LA. We want to come. So (laughs) we all came together. And and where did you move from again? You were from New York? From Philadelphia. Oh, from Philadelphia. I spent yeah. a summer in Conshohocken. Oh, yeah. Not too far. Like 15 minutes from where we live. We live oh, in the really? main line. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was – my summer there was not – I was uh, there. I was at the Renfrew Center for eating disorders for oh, no. a whole summer. So it wasn't like it was a great time. But no. um But, no, I remember – I mean, I was coming from – Minneapolis so it was the same kind of weather it was I just remember it being like so hot and sticky and yeah but I I do remember I got to I earned the pass to go out and like eat at a restaurant a couple times so we went to Conshohocken and went to eat and then I think I don't know we went like some field trip shopping or something and all I remember is going to like the pottery barn there or something or something like, oh I know so. exactly which mall you went to yeah you went to King of Prussia mall which yes, is like 10 yes. minutes away we went to like it was the most random field trip I was like I'm not really sure how this is supposed to help me but okay wow um, <laughs> that sounds intense yeah no I mean I'm very open about talking about it but yeah it's yeah that was a fun summer but uh my mother came to visit me and brought her friend and turned it into a spa trip she's yeah oh my god <laughs> that could be another documentary for you about like, that's amazing borderline like mothers turning their daughters yeah. into 
<laughs> yeah. Fun. Yeah. Anyway, wow. What was the other thing I was going to ask you? I totally lost my train of thought. Um. Oh, about the moms in Hollywood thing. Do you, like, at your daughter's school, is it a good mix of, like, working moms and stay-at-home moms? Or do you ever have, like, that, I don't know, that we're, like, not, like, mommy wars, but I know a lot of the other moms that I talk about talk about, like, you know, like, the slight competition between, like, the moms that come in with the you know, Pinterest perfect stuff versus like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, do you have anything like that at your school or is it pretty? Well, I, uh, we live in an area that's affluent and she's at a public school, but it's like an affluent public school. You know what I mean? It's like the kind of parents that probably would be sending their kids to private school otherwise. So there's a lot of money. So I think when you have a lot of money, obviously you have mothers that can afford not to work and don't have the luxury. I mean, in most of America, you know, there's no you don't have a choice. Of course you have to work. So the fact that we live in an area where mothers seem to have, you know, a choice whether or not they want to work, I think that you're going to get a mix of working moms like me. Mm -hmm. Um, but also moms that, you know, perhaps worked before they had kids or took time off or now they're, you know, on hiatus or they just aren't working at all. And so I would say we all coexist pretty well. I mean, you definitely, yeah, it always seems like the non-working moms are way more put together and they always look great and they always are volunteering at the school and they're always on time. And, you know, we're the ones like completely have, you know, chicken with our heads cut off, like just trying to like get through the door and get through the morning. But, you know, I also know mothers that work and have all their shit together too. So they're just like the ones that I'm like, do you have a clone? Like, what are you doing? So, yeah, I try not to, honestly, I I used to be a lot more self-conscious about it when I was younger, you know, when when my daughter was younger too, because I think, you know, with your first kids here, you're just like feeling it out and you're Mm -hmm. feeling like, like, how do I fit into all all this? And, um, at my age now, I don't give a shit. I really don't like, I, you know, I have no judgment. I think I used to judge, um, moms who didn't work either, Probably because I was jealous. And then, <laughs> um, and now I could give, again, I could give a shit, work, not work, whatever floats your boat, you know, yeah. like, um, I probably have more in common with the moms that work, uh, ultimately, but, but at the same time, you know, really the things for me are sort of like the way that I look at the world and my values and my politics. Those are going to be way more important in terms of like bonding with somebody. Um, over whether they work or not. And that's going to like, you know, uh, if I hit it off with them, that will be way more right. um, front center than like, are you going to an office every day? Right, right. And when you guys moved here, did you, I mean, did you pick a place to live based on the schools or did you pick a place to live and you're like, this is the school? Uh, yeah, I mean, the the former, um, but it was, it's a whole story in itself, which I won't bore you with. But, but we knew we wanted to move to the Valley because the public schools, at least for elementary, were really good mm-hmm. in the places where we were looking. And um, we ended up like basically changing the place we were going to live a week before we moved here, which ended up just couldn't have been a better move, even though it was not great at the time because yeah. I was like, Oh my God, we lost our house. Um, <laughs> but the school that we had, the school district we ended up in is way better than the one that we would have been in. It's like the best one here and it's been an amazing community and a great education for our daughter. So, um, I, you know, some things really do happen for a reason. That was definitely one of them. For sure. Yeah. That's, I, I think I mentioned to you when we spoke before, that's my husband and I are looking at houses now and it's, that's being formerly in the education field myself. That's something that I always am wondering about and looking about because it's, especially here in LA, a lot of the, it's one, it's hard to find a good school district or whether it's like a public school or a charter school, but then 
it's, it seems like a lot of the elementary schools are, are really good. But then once you get into middle and high school, it's like you, uh, you have to go private a lot of the time because they're, the schools aren't that great. And well, yeah. And the other problem is that now that, and I don't know how long this has been this way, but like, for instance, in the district that we're in, you know, it's really hard to find a reasonable house in this area because people are moving here for that. They know they're going to get yeah. five or six years of free elementary school. Exactly. And so the houses are going to be way more expensive than in places with crappy schools. It's just the way it is. Right. Yeah. I was just talking about my sister, talking about that with my sister-in-law because they live in Calabasas where they have really good schools, but even the houses aren't there out there are not that inexpensive anymore. And she was like, oh, we'll just move to Encino. And I'm like, the houses in Encino are at least oh, like, yeah. at least minimum like one and a half million. I'm like, we might as well stay on the West side. <laughs> Like, yeah, I know. It's true. It's yeah. So the, the school, it's just, yeah, it's a whole situation, but it is, it is. <laughs> indeed know? it is. Yeah. But, um, I only have a couple minutes left with you. Um, I think I have a couple minutes, right? Yes, yeah, I okay. do have a few okay. more minutes. Yeah. A couple minutes. I know one of our mutual loves that we spoke about before was housewives and you're yes. a huge <laughs> so yeah i wanted um to talk to you quick i know we talked about megan king edmonds before and we both had a not a mutual disdain but a mutual like irk i guess yeah i think disdain the- is okay <laughs> <laughs> i'm okay with That's that okay yeah yeah i don't know her like hashtag cool stepmom like i, I can't it, did you feel her like did you feel like empathy for her with the whole thing with the stepmom or were you more like, no, like you're. Well, it's interesting because I think, you know, the whole sort of point of conflict, I think with Vicky was, you know, Vicky's like, you'll see, you're never, you know, you'll love your kids more than you love your step kids. And she was like, that's not true. How could you say that? Because when you're a stepmom, you don't know what it's like to be a biological mom. And I'm, you know, just the reality is there's a difference. I mean, I, you know, I don't really want to say a lot more than that, but it's not the same. Right. Yeah. And then her going through her, uh, Oh, her poor, poor IVF. Oh my my gosh. With her, (laughs) the worst, the worst, that one kid, that one made me push me over the edge. Yeah, I, I, yeah. How was that for you? Actually, well, I had IVF. Yeah, well, and I also had IVF, um, and I don't even talk about it very much because it was so easy for us. Um, We got pregnant the first time we tried it, and like I started like mid cycle. It was like a two week process, the whole thing. So amazing, you know, for people that are genuinely having a hard time with infertility and going through it, and have tried years and gazillions of dollars. You know, I wouldn't dare insert myself into that conversation because it's like, wow, we barely suffered. You know, like we, right. it was like really easy. Um, and I know how it can be because I was on all those same message boards and, you know, had friends. So um, it's really horrible. And for her to come out as some type of poster woman, when Jim's had a vasectomy, right. she's basically, you know, uh, when when she lost one of the embryos that was not even implanted in her yet i mean like that was so offensive i was i had such a visceral reaction to it and that 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 made me turn on her i was like you're such a spoiled brat you are such a spoiled brat yeah i wondered if that i mean i have not gone through that at all myself but i that was my i really wanted to know especially from yes someone who's gone through that process to me it came across very insensitive 
I thought it was. And look, the other side of it is like any loss is a loss. Don't judge her or whatever. But I, I will judge her. Okay. Yeah, it seems like <laughs> – no, I, I totally – but yeah, it seems – especially for people that, you know – God forbid, have gone through. Well, it's not a miscarriage. It's just not a miscarriage. It's not, and it's not a fetus. I'm sorry. Like, call it what you want, but what happened to you is nothing. It is. You got a healthy embryo implanted in you that became a baby. You did not lose a twin. You did not lose nothing. None of that happened. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking. Like women I know who have, you know, gone through miscarriages at like four months, five months, and then they have to go and have a DNC, and then it's like watching that as one of those women. I can't imagine. Like, how dare you say you know? Okay, like, but I'm sorry. Even losing it after a week is sad. But that's yeah. not what happened with her. Yeah, she didn't. It didn't even go inside of her. Yeah, it was literally like looking in a petri dish, and it was. It was like uh, Tinsley crying over. Her oh my head. god! It was like- Best scene ever in all of Housewives oh history. I'm did sorry. you think that was funny, or did you think she was hilarious? Like, that was the funniest thing. I- all of it, all of it. My favorite thing ever. Like it was gold. But with Tinsley, like I, it wasn't <laughs> offensive to me. It just seemed. Oh like- no. No, no, not at all. It was hilarious. Oh my god, she's I, the best. I love Tinsley. I know a lot of people are like, "Oh, she doesn't add anything, whatever." I think that she's just like the, like the little cocktail ornament to the. Totally, totally. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't add anything, and I still love her. And I don't care if she comes or goes, but she entertains me. Yeah, I don't care if she comes or she's. And are you a Bethany supporter, apologist? Oh, she is. No, I'm asking you. Are you a? Oh, am I? Oh, God, I have such mixed feelings about her. What do you? How do you feel about her? I do too. I really vacillate with with Bethany. I, I <laughs> yeah. go, I go it's back hard and not forth. To. It is hard not to. And yeah, last summer I I rewatched her her old show, that one that she had, the when she did skating with the stars. Oh my God, I love that. And it kind of made me have more compassion for her, actually. But Wait, then, you watched the one with her and Jason? Yes, 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 yes. I went yeah, back. Yeah, I'm dying to do that. To go back and rewatch it was, it was interesting knowing like what we know now. So what did you, did you think, like, did we miss the signs with him? A, a little bit, yeah. Because watching it the first time, I was like, wow. oh my God, he's such a nice guy. She's so lucky. But then going back and watching it, I saw little things. And my background is in child psychology, but I know enough that I, going back, I saw little things. But also, I do think that she has, you know, to take some accountability. There is, there were signs on both sides that I was mm-hmm. like, eh, this is not gonna, <laughs> this is not gonna end well. But yeah, but then going back to this season, I. I really went. I was Team Carol, like until Carol kind of went down the rabbit hole yes, this summer. Same, same. And now that she's kind of going on this odd, like, weird... oh my god, she has gone off the rails. She yeah. needs to tuck it back in and go away for a while. She need, yeah, she needs to kind of maybe <laughs> maybe take a vacation. Maybe like yeah, us. get laid or something. Like Carol, <laughs> like stop to, it. Maybe she needs but to like reconcile anyone, with Adam. Well, that's, that's the thing I have to say. And I, I have been public about my disdain for Adam before. Like, with his I, I can't, <laughs> like he, whatever my type is, like, I'm not sure what it is. He is the opposite that oh, I can vouch too. for. Like, I just, everything from physical to his personality, like he just makes me want to barf every time I experience him in the world. Like <laughs> his whole personality yeah, with his vocal fry. Oh my God. Uh, I, I feel I like he's like a wannabe, it. like. <laughs> gluten-free vegan Kardashian is like what I, what I feel about him. 
Totally. That's amazing. Yeah. I just, yeah, I can't with Adam, but I, I, yeah, I think that Carol needs to like, you know, as Teresa and Joe would say, like, go away for a while, maybe not to prison, but go away for a while. Oh, how do you, how did you feel about the whole Joe about getting deported? Are you like, I don't care. You don't care. But did you see it coming or were you like totally surprised? Um, well, I knew it was always a possibility, right? I mean, it's always, we've always known he's illegal. Like, well, what a fucking idiot. I'm sorry. I mean, How many, he's 50 years old and he didn't become a citizen. He came here as a baby. <laughs> like, are you the dumbest? I mean, I whatever, obviously. The dumbest, the dumbest person ever. But like, really, really. So I, look, there, uh, I, I, look, do I feel bad for his children? Yes. I have no other feelings other than that. Yeah, but I, I kind of, I think I was telling Aaron Martin, I was like, I totally feel like, rewind four years, Teresa's been getting her ducks in a row the whole time. Not maybe not Teresa, but that weird lawyer of hers. Been like, <laughs> so weird. <laughs> has been like, listen, he's gonna get deported. Like, you need to. I kind of feel like she's been paving the road. Yeah. Even yeah. though, but I saw a meme the other day that cracked me up because it was something like it was like a like a an not an animation, a cartoon of Trump, and it was like. Yeah, this is like we're all for you deporting this one. Like, we'll, <laughs> we'll, bring ice out now. Yeah, exactly. We'll back you yeah. the whole way on this one. That's but. funny. Well, <laughs> I'm so sorry that I have to go. No, no, no. I know I, you have I mean, to go. Um, just yeah. Just let me say that again. So if you <laughs> let me cut cut that part out. Part out. Yes, I know you have to get going. Um, real quick, tell everyone your podcast, your Instagram, everything. Sure. So my podcast is Reality of Reality. You can find it on iTunes and please rate me. Uh, five stars. And uh, I'm very excited for your podcast as well. It's exciting to bring it into the world. Um, and I'm on Instagram at Lizzie 108 And you can find me on Facebook as me, Aliza Rosen. And I do have a Reality of Reality page as well. And I'm on Twitter at Reality of Real. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Aliza. We will uh, look forward to hearing from you soon. Thanks, Jess. It was good to talk to you. <laughs> you too. Take care. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. All right, guys. Well, that is going to do it for us this episode. We really appreciate you listening. Again, please uh, support Lisa's podcast as well. And ours, if you can subscribe, rate, and review, please visit us at No Judgment Pod on Facebook and Instagram. And we will see you guys next time. Bye.